Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, Zooming to Settlement. The IRS has turned to settlement days as a way to quickly resolve a higher volume of tax cases. But the coronavirus pandemic has presented significant challenges for all parties involved. Here to discuss this topic in depth is Tax Notes legal reporter Nathan Richman. Nate, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Dave. First off, could you give us some background on the concept of settlement days and how they came about? Settlement days are a relatively recent outgrowth of calendar call programs. Both are ways to get unrepresented tax court petitioners help with their cases, either with volunteer attorneys or low-income taxpayer clinics. But while calendar call programs take place in the courthouse at a tax court trial session, settlement days happen usually weeks ahead of time, giving the petitioners, representatives, and IRS participants a more flexible and comfortable situation for addressing the tax controversies. The first settlement day events were organized a little over five years ago after some ground-level discussions between IRS area council and local tax communities. Now, you recently talked to someone from the IRS about this. Who did you talk to and what did they have to say? I spoke with IRS Chief Counsel Michael Desmond, who oversees a staff of roughly 2,000, including 1,500 attorneys. He's been Chief Counsel for about 18 months, and before that he had been practicing at a boutique law firm he started in 2012 in California. Mike talked about the challenges and benefits of hosting settlement days in person versus virtually, and the lessons he's learned so far. He also shared how those events will influence IRS attorneys going forward, both with remote tax court trials and after the pandemic. All right, let's go to that interview. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for having me here today. So settlement days sound like a really good idea and a really good deal. Even before the pandemic, what sorts of difficulties did the initial efforts encounter in getting off the ground? What sorts of situations caused people to not be as interested in various versions? There are probably a number of elements to that, but two to come to mind. One is just getting a response from the taxpayers and the petitioners. As I said, I mean, one of the challenges you see this in many, many of the docketed cases and tax disputes generally is just the tax law is complicated. People's personal and financial circumstances are complicated. And when you put the two together, that can lead to obvious communication breakdowns that are a challenge. And I think a lot of times, once people just get all the paperwork and the issues in front of them and have somebody there to explain them, a resolution can be reached. But the challenge of getting people to the table in settlement days, in trial, even long before a stat notice is issued, getting taxpayers to kind of focus on what the issue is, and frankly, on the IRS side as well. There are challenges in us providing communication channels to taxpayers. The communication breakdown is a two-way street. It's on our end and it's on the taxpayer's end. But that can continue through even the settlement days. Low take-up rates, low response rates, a sense of skepticism by taxpayers as to whether this is going to be useful for them or if it's just going to be more of the same communication challenge. So I think that's one big issue for taxpayers and for the success of settlement days before the COVID pandemic threw a wrench into even what we were doing on that front. So, And another challenge, and this is just more practical for the sort of pre-COVID settlement days, was just finding the right time and place to make the resources available. We have had the two sessions I was able to participate in in person. The one was on a Saturday here in D.C., and I think that has proven successful in some cities. 
cities and not necessarily in others. The one in San Francisco we attended was in the evening, and I think that can prove successful in some places and not in others. And I think just the, the geographic and practical challenges of getting people to in-person settlement days are the same challenges we faced in getting people to calendar calls and to IRS offices and just part of the communication challenge there in getting people to the table. So that's something that's a bit of trial and error. As I said, some cities work differently, and we just learn from what works best in different cities as to what the right you know, time and place and logistics. Is it an IRS office? Is it a clinic office? Is it a law firm office? What's the right hosting environment? What are the right time and place? Those kinds of things. Core challenges before, and I think they're ones that have evolved, particularly with the COVID pandemic and a bit of a silver lining with what we're doing with the virtual settlement days to try to find ways to resolve those. I think accelerating our thinking on how we can resolve those logistical challenges. Let's move on to the virtual settlement days and what sorts of different challenges they present compared to the in-person. Well, the obvious one is technology. And we have, even within council, been evolving in how we handle technology and contact even with each other in council and obviously with taxpayers. So that's probably the greatest challenge, and that has evolved. We've all seen what the tax court has done with its ZoomGov sessions that it's planning for the fall calendar sessions. We had one hearing already that was done in a CDP case with the tax court. So I think the, the ZoomGov platform that the tax court has adopted, we have obviously adopted that as well. We did not have access to Zoom or ZoomGov prior to COVID due to concerns about cybersecurity and others. But we've been able to work through those. And I think the COVID pandemic has accelerated our thinking on that front. So in addition, that's probably the primary platform just because that's what the tax court uses. And we can use that independently to facilitate settlement days and even just general discussions with taxpayers. And we've got other tech technologies that we are looking to as well, a WebEx platform that we've used within council and the IRS for some time. Virtual secure delivery is another mechanism that we've had for us. But all of those are obviously dependent upon taxpayers having access to those resources. And we know a lot of lower income and pro se taxpayers don't necessarily have the high speed internet access that it takes to get a ZoomGov communication line open. WebEx is the same thing. So we do have some challenges on that front and the technology. I think there's some effort at flexibility, though fashion telephone also still work fairly well. So keeping that as an option, and sometimes if you've got a number of different players at the table, having telephone available for a petitioner that doesn't have web access, while others can be available through the virtual platforms, the, the volunteers and clinics is, is one approach to look at. But then probably related to that, and perhaps even a more significant challenge, a lot of our cases involve instantiation, documentation, trying to understand the, the history of the correspondence with the IRS. So it can be a document in intensive exercise to get these matters resolved. And Zoom does allow for some sharing of screens and that kind of thing so that you can have some access to documents, but that's a challenge. And again, if the taxpayer doesn't have access or the ability to scan documents in and upload them and email them and do those kinds of things, that can present a bit of a challenge just in those document-intensive cases and even ones that, that aren't so documented. So that's only one aspect of the challenge. And in person, that's much easier to have the documents in front of you as you're working to resolve a case. They can show up with their shoeboxes. 
Right. Although in the experience I've had, you know, oftentimes it's the documents are there, but they aren't all the documents. So there's always some effort involved to try to get the right set of documents together. And we all have lost files and missing records and needed a bunch of different sources to get them. And that's both on the taxpayer side and the IRS side. So a virtual platform does have a little bit more flexibility in that you can have an initial conversation or discussion, some sharing of documents, identification of what's missing, and then come back a day or two later fairly seamlessly for a second session with more documents in front of you. For in-person sessions, that's a little bit more difficult. If you are there on a Thursday evening and one or two records are missing, you've got to regroup and come back and get the people together again. So a virtual platform does facilitate more regular contact and following up on those kinds of missing record issues that, that can be a sticking point. Well, speaking of that flexibility from the virtual platforms, are these really settlement days when they're virtual or settlement weeks? They are. They do go on. And I think one of our virtual settlement days was in Detroit and started on May 7th and took place over the course of about eight days. Yeah, those will be more protracted. And I think in part because of the back and forth, but there will be more sessions involved in these virtual settlement days, plural, than we had when we had just an in-person session in the pre-COVID days. What sorts of post-COVID plans and lessons are you taking from these virtual days? Stuff like, are you considering these as follow-ups, ways to reach more people who are geographically limited, that sort of thing? I don't think there's any question that we will take a lot of positives out of uh, the virtual settlement days. I don't think these are going to go away. Um, I hope they don't, because just looking at these statistics, the take-up rate, as I said, uh, 50% or so sometimes of the invitations that the petitioners are coming in, which is a higher response rate than we've had in prior in-person sessions. So that's a positive. The accessibility you mentioned, Nate, I think is critically important. Some of our calendar sessions and just speaking from my experience in Los Angeles, the tax court has sessions once or twice a month in Los Angeles during the fall and the spring session. But the Los Angeles geographic footprint for taxpayers is extensive. And many taxpayers, even without LA traffic, can be a couple hours away from the courthouse. And the same is true for in-person virtual settlement days. So I think the virtual platform that we've been embracing here, virtual settlement days, will work very well, particularly in those spread out locations, to provide for a lot more regular contact. And at the end of the day, I think we'll go a long way to providing greater access to justice for taxpayers. One of the statistics that I'm always is unfortunate is the number of cases that get dismissed for lack of prosecution. And not that there isn't a resolution there, but I think just the challenge challenges and difficulty. You know, these taxpayers have gone all the way to filing a petition in tax court and their case ends up getting dismissed for lack of prosecution. Ideally, those get resolved before you even get to a stat notice. But if you've gotten that far, then you would hope that the taxpayer wants to keep pushing that forward. And, you know, the resolution may be a deficiency with some collection options. But I think there is an issue with sort of access to justice if you don't take that case to some sort of resolution that the 
taxpayer can understand and agree to. So facilitating that long-term through things like virtual settlement days, I think will be a very big positive in terms of broader access to justice. And I say that in particular with respect to virtual settlement days, but I think the same will hold true for the long-term consequences of the tax court holding its calendar sessions and perhaps even trials and hearings virtually in the fall session. So it'll be interesting to see how the court evolves with its thinking, but I know I share Chief Judge Foley's comments about the long-term benefits in providing greater access to justice and to the courthouse for taxpayers that otherwise would have geographic, practical work, child care, all sorts of other limitations that prevent them from getting there and getting their day in court. So both on the settlement front and on the trial front, I think we'll take some good lessons out of all this work. So you mentioned earlier this move to more routine settlement day sessions from the purely linked to trial session version. Right. How early in the process are you considering extending that to is there some idea for some sort of tax resolution fair for perhaps even pre-docketed cases or uh, cases in appeals or something like that? Yeah, and I don't want to speak for the IRS on that front. I know that's something that has been tried in the past, and I think it's to be determined whether the IRS can pick up on some of the benefits and lessons that we're seeing from the docketed case settlement days. I think there are some challenges extending that beyond docketed cases. One advantage you have in docketed cases is that there's a very uh, defined set of issues. You've got a stat notice as here's the deficiency determination, here are the years that are at issue, and so it helps to really kind of cabin the issues and allows for perhaps better focus on exactly what's that issue in the case. We'll have to see kind of what lessons can be learned outside the context of docketed cases. But in docketed cases in particular, as I mentioned a moment ago, we are looking to establish these instead of, as I said, the traditional model was to do the 60 days or so before the calendar session. And that led to some issues, obviously, if the case is already moving along for a year, it's been to appeals, it's maybe still in appeals, just logistical issues there. I think what we're moving toward now is just thinking about in Los Angeles, for example, or in Chicago or in Atlanta, you know, having a periodic date set for settlement days that isn't necessarily keyed to an upcoming calendar call. But then there may be a number of cases that can lend themselves to coming into that settlement day as soon as when the case is answered. So that can be very early in the process before it's referred over to appeals and post-docketed appeals resolution procedures. And then even in that scenario, you can have potentially multiple opportunities for a taxpayer to come into the settlement day. So perhaps sending a notice out right after the case is answered, we've got a settlement day, it's going to be on September 15th, you're welcome to come. And then as a case moves along, after it's been answered, periodic quarterly settlement days and multiple notices going to that taxpayer with multiple opportunities to participate in the settlement day, all the way up to just before the calendar call once it does get set, if it hasn't been resolved before then. So some kind of logistical issues there just in terms of getting the cases. We do want to be sure appeals does settle in the post-docketed procedures, a significant percentage of our docketed cases. So we want to be sure that process continues to work. I think a lot of taxpayers do like to take advantage of that, and that's a very successful procedure. So this is independent of that, really handled by counsel uh, directly. So 
So there's an opportunity kind of upfront before the case is sent to appeals, an opportunity at the back end after it comes back from appeals if it has been set for calendar, set for trial. And then there are some number of cases that also are not eligible for post-docketed appeals because the statutes came out of appeals, and those can lend themselves to sort of periodic touches on perhaps resolution through settlement days. So again, really kind of a periodic settlement day schedule that may also have some benefits in terms of planning for the clinics and planning for pro bono attorneys that knowing there'll be a more regular session for settlement rather than just the ones right before the calendar calls. So still some evolution in the thinking there, but that seems to be the direction we're heading in. Let's move on to numbers. You've already mentioned the 50% uptake rate for the virtual settlement days, but just what sorts of fun numbers do you have about anything settlement days, number of cases settled, participants, all sorts of fun stuff? Sure. Just part of the top, we've got about 25,000 cases pending in tax court at any one time. That number goes up and down over the years, but it's roughly around 25,000 cases in tax court. Of those, I think it's about 500 that go to trial and decision each year in tax court. The vast majority get resolved short of trial and decision. Um, And I think those two numbers are probably good for context because the number I'm looking at in terms of the settlement days, both virtual and in person, and this is just over probably less than a year. So the fall of 2019 up through just about this month, we've had almost 250, about 243 cases are resolved through uh, settlement days, again, from last fall up through August of this year, just this month. So that number may look relatively small compared to 25,000 pending cases, but if you compare that to the 500 cases that actually go to trial and decision each year, it's a very sizable number and a very important channel for getting cases resolved, just like trial and decision. So a very meaningful number of cases have been settled. And this is just in the past uh, less than a year. Again, 243 cases settled through the in-person and the virtual settlement days that we've had. I think that's an impressive number. You go back a couple of years ago when we didn't even have settlement days, much less virtual settlement days, then it was much closer to zero. That's a very positive number in terms of the number of cases that are getting resolved through the settlement days. Is the number of participants even higher? The number of participants is higher. We have had a little over 400, 417 taxpayers take us up on our solicitation and have made appointments to come in. Back when we had in-person settlement days, you'd sometimes have people that show up that didn't have appointments, which is not discouraged. So, you know, 417 folks have taken us up on the invitation to come in. Not all of them show up for the appointments, but I think that the attrition rate has been relatively low. So of the 417 that we've scheduled over this fall 2019 to August 2020 time period, we've had 356 actual in-person meetings or virtual meetings with those 417 appointments. So again, not too high an attrition rate that folks, once they do schedule the appointments, have been pretty good about showing up for them. And then of that 356, I said 243 have actually been resolved. So again, a very high take up, probably a fair number still in flight too, in terms of ultimate resolution, even if a case doesn't get settled through the settlement days, I think they always make progress in refining the issues and can go a long way toward ultimate resolution of those cases, even if they aren't resolved through the settlement day per se. One other statistic for you as well, and I think this pertains uh, well for the future of the settlement days, we've got, depending on how you count it, about 45 council offices around the country. And of those, 23 have actually hosted 
settlement days, 23 unique cities. So this has not been rolled out to all of our council offices yet. Many of those are brand new to the program, and we expect to be adding more in the coming weeks and months. Those numbers that I'm giving you in terms of the number of appointments, meetings, settlements, we do expect those to grow as the settlement days get rolled out to a larger number of our 45 or so council offices around the country. So would it be safe to predict that settlement days could, before too long, resolve about as many cases as actual trial? Probably would not be too far-fetched of an idea, so we'll see. But certainly another avenue toward getting cases resolved. And the other point to note on that is that the feedback from taxpayers in particular for the summit days has been overwhelmingly positive, and I think there are some downstream effects for that. I'm not sure you get the same reaction for tax court trials. I think the trial is a much more, obviously, adversarial process. So I think that the, the impression that a taxpayer gets coming out of a successful settlement day can have very positive downstream effects for tax administration generally. As I feedback has been very positive, people come out of this, I think for the first time, sometimes in a years long dispute with the IRS, understanding the issues, understanding the situation, and anything we can do to kind of advance taxpayers' understanding and while perhaps never happy with the deficiency determination if they have an understanding for why they have a deficiency and an opportunity to have that explained to them in an informal setting like a settlement day, there's some really positive downstream effects for tax administration that we're seeing coming out of this. One other notable overlap between the court's moves is the expansion to calendared cases rather than actually at the calendar of its limited appearance rule. Have the council attorneys had any interaction with that rule, seen it play out, particularly now that you can have somebody in the settlement day who has a limited appearance or we're planning to enter a limited appearance type of situation? I think as a general matter, it's always good to have a clinic or a pro bono representation with a taxpayer. It addresses those communication challenges that I mentioned earlier and just sort of brings some resources to the taxpayer that they wouldn't otherwise have. And I think in a more neutral or even advocate capacity that the council lawyers obviously can't serve. So certainly some benefits by having those pro bono and clinic volunteers there earlier in the process. I think on a more mechanical and technical level, there are also some challenges for us. We have always got to be very careful about inadvertent disclosures and improper disclosures. And so if somebody hasn't made an appearance in the case, there are always issues around ensuring that they're authorized to receive return information from us and that we can discuss with somebody the taxpayer situation. So in the past, that's been if somebody hasn't made an appearance, you can use a 2848 to try to get authority for disclosure of the information. But I think it's preferable to have a formal appearance having been made in the case. We all know that the volunteer or clinic representative is there perhaps on a limited basis to represent that taxpayer. And it does take care, again, on a more technical level of some of the disclosure concerns that we've always got in dealing with taxpayers and people who are assisting. Perhaps the last question I've got here, I recently heard Judge Toro talk about as flexible as many of these web-based tools are, and you've alluded to some of the gaps still in the flexibility, there are some people who cannot really get an effective remote trial. Do you see that happening somewhat as well with the virtual settlement days? Yeah, probably to a lesser extent than the virtual trial concerns. Because virtual settlement days, even in-person settlement days, are purely voluntary for the taxpayer and the petitioner, and also, frankly, for counsel. There are going to be some cases that just don't lend themselves to resolution. Cases where the taxpayer or witness's credibility is at stake, 
penalty cases, fraud cases, some other cases that just don't lend themselves very well to assessing credibility in those kinds of issues through a remote platform. So, But I think we do have a little bit more leeway on the settlement days that, first of all, I think those kinds of taxpayers are probably less likely to accept any sort of offer to come to the table on settlement. That's why they're in court. And the same on our side. Council may not necessarily be thinking that those are cases that are going to get resolved. So those kinds of cases, I think, present challenges for virtual trials, certainly, where you do have witness credibility and uh, similar issues at play. And I think for the most part, those can be avoided through settlement days just because those cases are never going to get to the table for settlement in this context. Anyway, and there are obviously channels for resolving those cases, but they tend to be more kind of uh, targeted or tailored settlement discussions that we've had in those more complicated types of cases. Any closing thoughts you have on settlement days and virtual settlement days in particular? No, other than, again, to thank the SBS Council folks who've really taken the lead in cities around the country, Atlanta, Chicago, Los Angeles, 23 total cities that we've had, and really a great team of people that have really embraced not only settlement days, but I think have doubled down on that with their embrace of the virtual settlement days. And taking this up, I think, to reflect my comments about seeing some real long-term benefits in terms of access to justice for taxpayers, downstream benefits if we can get agreed-upon resolutions in these kinds of environments that are much more amenable to a favorable resolution and a favorable experience with the tax court and interactions with the IRS. So not many silver linings coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, but I do see a lot of positives coming out of the work that the group from SBSC has been doing to make these settlement days a success. Well, thank you very much. Great. Thanks for having me. Now, coming attractions. Each week we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now from her home is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief Faye McRae. Faye, what will you have for us? Thank you, Dave. In Tax Notes Federal, Michael Carlin and Stanley Ruchelman considered the tax issues that non-resident aliens face when acquiring, owning, and disposing of U.S. residential real property. Mattia Londoni and Abraham Sutherland argue against taxing cryptocurrency reward tokens annually. In Tax Notes State, Jennifer Karpchuk discusses since the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Sujata Yalamanchili discusses the impact that COVID-19 has had on tax incentive programs and industrial development agencies in New York. In Tax Notes International, Johns Wittendorf examines the OECD's new transfer pricing guidelines on financial transactions. Brian Abbey and Inez Blanco discuss recent changes to U.S. foreign tax credit rules and their impact on foreign tax redeterminations. And on the opinions page, Benjamin Willis and Monty Jackal discuss carried interests. Nana Amasarfo looks at how the OECD became an international tax leader. You can read all that and a lot more in the pages of Tax Notes Federal, State, and International. That's it for this week. You can follow me online at taxdo, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at Tax Notes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com podcast. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening, and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. 
Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.